Hi. Hello. I'm Julian. I'm Tom. We're Team Binge, and we are here for episode four of The Last of Us. We thank all of you for making your way kind of through Kansas City and joining us. <laughs> this episode is called Please Hold My Hand, which... That classic Beatles song. That classic Beatles song written by one... I was going to say Patrick Swayze, but I don't think he was part of the Beatles. And I was trying to think of a member of the Rolling Stones. But since that type of music wasn't authorized in my household growing up, I can't <laughs> tell you who any of those people are. Keith Richards. Boom. There you go. That's one of them. And we got Mick there. Mick, sure. Sure, sure, sure. These are all names I'm familiar with, but the names we really need to be familiar with are Ellie and Joel, because mm -hmm. this show is about their adventures. One of those famous buddy cop shows where it's just two people <laughs> yucking it up as they go from one place to another. Tom, I feel like we start every episode just getting the Thomas pulse of how he feels having played the video games Mm -hmm. knowing that we were going to leave Boston, but lying to me about it. Um, <laughs> how are you feeling after watching episode four? I thought this was a good episode. This was definitely a little bit slower. There was some action moments, but I think a lot of this is setting up their relationship and kind of Ellie finding maybe some of the, the cracks in Joel's uh, armor to have him open up a little bit more, um, which we definitely see at the the end of the episode. But I thought it was still good. It, it definitely was very, very close and, and honored the game with a lot of these scenes and sequences, dialogue, references. It was all all there and still a lot of fun. How about you? What do you think? I enjoyed it. There was less romantic love in this one than the last mm -hmm. one, which threw me for a loop. I feel like <laughs> the show promised me that this would be a, a romantic love story all the way through. Obviously, it was Joel and Tess, then Bill and Frank, and no love story in this one. Unless there's possibly, I don't know, maybe Kathleen and this Henry fella. Uh, <laughs> they might be the love story that I'm jonesing for. I don't know. Um, okay. I felt like this was kind of half of an episode because they left us with a cliffhanger that I feel like we could have <laughs> you know, rolled into the second part of this. But because um, this one was only, I think, 45 minutes long, which is on the shorter side for the show. But I did enjoy it. I love. Listen, put me in an S10. Put me with that <laughs> disc man hooked into the cassette tape. Uh, thanks to all of you that sent us messages about your vehicle and disc man setup. Uh, I had a fond memory of thinking about how important it was to have the memory on a disc man because if it skipped like they had like 20 seconds of memory so you could get through like 20 seconds of rough road before it would start skipping <sighs> do you i, I remember running i remember running with my disc man no arm strap just had it in my hand and that's why we are made of sterner stuff than the generation after us because Dude, there's somebody have... in my neighborhood that has one and it was attached to her hip it was fantastic Oh, incredible. <laughs> she probably made of sterner stuff than those yes. iPad arm arm uh, strap uh, weaklings. I don't know. Maybe that's too strong. Who knows? Let's kick this off, Tom. Let's go through the episode. We're eventually going to get from 10 miles outside of Boston to the great city of uh, Kansas City, which mm -hmm. um, has someone in the Super Bowl this year. So that's pertinent, yeah. right? Love their barbecue. Love their barbecue. Uh, not only does Tom love barbecue, but he loves guns. And that's how this episode starts. Uh, Ellie's got a gun. And I everything in my power not to sing that little ditty uh, for you. But I wouldn't want to lose half of our audience. No, that Aerosmith jam, uh, Janie's got a gun, is, is definitely there. Uh, funny story, that is not Aerosmith. That is... The Rolling Stones, right? What is it now? <laughs> Anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Ellie's got the gun that she took from Bill and Frank. She is John Waning it in a dirty bathroom mirror, pointing <laughs> it, unloading it. 
Um, I appreciated that she knew to unload it and take the round out before she looked down the barrel to look at all Mm -hmm. the cool uh, spiraling. But uh, this is kind of interesting. This is her like, I don't know, I guess being a kid in a world where we're not seeing kids be kids. Like this is, she's, I guess, playing it up in the mirror, kind of playing pretend almost. How did you take this scene? No, you're right. Like kind of John Wayne style. Like she's trying to look cool. She's romanticizing the idea of using a gun because, you know, clearly she hasn't seen it in movies. Like most um, young people nowadays will see violence and and gunplay and everything. But she clearly has some knowledge, right? The way she like unracks that round and is kind of holding on to it. And I think we even get a little bit later that seemingly Fedra does some form of education on gun safety. Uh, so it was it was kind of neat to see, but again, it's it's a kid, it's a kid playing with a gun, and it was scary, and kind of reminds you of why Joel was hesitant to have her have a gun. Sure, sure, and I find this is a classic Chekhov's gun moment where it's appeared in the beginning, and you're probably going to have it appear in the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Tom, you're on record saying is every problem can be solved with a gun. So, <laughs> did you have you know did you find affection and? This uh, young woman pointing a gun in a bathroom mirror. How often do you find yourself in a public restroom pointing guns at mirrors? Is this, uh, <laughs> would you say, weekly, daily? No, not often. I'm not a huge gun guy. I think you own the majority of the guns, and every time I have shot a gun, it generally is your gun that you let me borrow. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it is the gun that is pulled straight from the, the game. I don't know if you know exactly what type of, of gun it is, but it's, I think, it's model one that shoots bullets, one. Tom. That's what I know. <laughs> it shoots bullets. So this is, okay, this is one that is directly from, she at some point opens... Uh, well, does she get it from Bill and Frank in the game? No, I don't know. I, I know. She, so the, the, this sequence in the game of how she kind of saves Joel here when Joel's getting attacked by kind of one of these hunters or random people, this is what happens. It's pretty much beat for beat. But I don't know if it's explained where she gets the gun. And I had to admit, I told myself I wasn't going to replay the game until after we've watched this whole season. But admittedly, I have picked up the game and have kind of halfway through it. I think I just finished the the sequence with Bill and Frank and I'm now kind of in where we are right now. But unfortunately, I haven't played far enough to know exactly all the little uh, nuances of how she got her weapon. Understood. Now, I don't think we've talked about this and I don't think I've asked this hard-hitting journalistic question, but when you play the game, are you Joel or are you Ellie? You are multiple characters. So I think we started... Inconceivable. <laughs> How? <laughs> well, like I said, we, you start the game as Sarah. It's kind of from her perspective, and you're seeing the whole outbreak kind of start from from her innocence. And then you move into Joel, and there is a sequence in the game that you do play as Ellie. But I'm not going to go any further than that. Okay. Is there a point where you're the old lady neighbor and you get to eat people, or <laughs> is that not? You get to be you get to be the old lady, but it's just when she's sitting on the uh, front porch eating biscuits. Eating biscuits, and yep. it's like you can't move. You're getting biscuits shoved in your mouth, and it tells you to look up or look down in that triangulate your inverted controller. Yeah, it's like grunt grunt for water <laughs> in order to wash down dry biscuit. Is that yeah. is that part of it? Pretty much hit triangle for dry biscuit. Wonderful. I love it. We have a scene with some gas siphoning, which I'll never understand the science behind. Uh, I, for some reason, I, for some reason, thought that you pulled or sucked on it in order to get the gas flowing, but I feel like he blows in order to get the gas to go against and then come through. Anyways, Ellie asking him how it works and him being like, you wouldn't understand. And she's like, you don't know either. I was like, oh, that's that's great because I am currently in that situation as I try and figure this out. It is great. I, I would assume like a homemade siphon is exactly that where you can like suck it up and then you're taking some gasoline. So I'm assuming there's like professional grade versions of it that you don't have to actually drink a little bit of gas to make it happen sure in the games this is kind of cool because this is like the parting gift that bill gives you when you leave him in the game he hands you a siphon oh interesting okay so this is part of a video game you say um (laughs) speaking of bad jokes ellie gets her hands on a joke book of puns and this is i (laughs) my kids are at an age where if they get their hands on a joke book and you're in a car 
guess what? For the next 45 minutes, you are just <laughs> going to get rapid fire joke after joke. And they, I will say my kids have pretty good comedic timing, but when they get a joke book in their hand, there's something about like the jokes where they ask you the question, they will wait until you give them some side, some kind of answer, even though they have the punchline and you're just like, no, just give me the punchline. Yeah. They'll be like, no, <laughs> that's not it. Keep guessing. And you're like, no, you're, you don't understand. Give me the punchline. Or they read it and then they give you the punchline so fast that you have no time to uh, work out the joke. But Oh yeah, for sure. It's like, it's like I was wondering why that ball was getting bigger and then it hit me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good, Tom. That was great. So I did a I did appreciate this and I, I thought it was I mean, as bad as joke book puns are, this mm-hmm. was a fun little bit that carried on through the episode. I liked how they built on this. Oh yeah, for sure. You never trust an Adam. They make up everything. <sighs> did <sighs> Are you going to do that this whole time? No, um, no, no, no. I haven't written down a whole list of puns that I'm going to do throughout the episode. I, I definitely haven't done that. All right. Well, <laughs> now I feel like I'm working my way through an explosive environment where I've got to make sure I don't touch a pun because you're going to unleash it on me. Speaking of things that are never going out of style and couldn't possibly make people cringe. We find a Hank Williams cassette, uh, which I appreciate. Joel's like, well, this is even before my time, but still a a good find. And then he puts it in and starts playing it. And I believe this is where we get the name of the episode, which is Please Hold My Hand. Mm -hmm. And I looked it up. I'm not going to lie, not a Hank Williams um, I don't know a lot of Hank Williams. If any, my references to Hank Williams are when modern country people sing about Hank Williams in order to establish <laughs> their credibility as they are like rap country singing over some weird beat that I'm sure Hank w- Williams would be appalled by. But I'm not going to get into <laughs> the state of modern country music. So... Uh, let's put our finger on something else, which is the other find that Ellie has in the back seat, which is some sort of magazine. It seems like a fitness magazine, Tom. I did not understand uh, this moment. Please explain. Yeah, so this is this is great. This is a call directly to the video game. The art that's actually on this, you know, for lack of a better word, male adult magazine sure. uh, is the same art cover and title and like little blurbs on it are straight from the game. So it's, okay. it's just a great little like extra call. And Ellie does a, like a little joke about when they go into Bill's bunker, she's playing around with Bill's stuff and she ends up pocketing this and that's how she brings it back up in the car. Uh, but but super, super funny and a great little riff. And all the lines she says about how do you walk around with these things? Why are the pages sticking? All straight from the uh, from the video game. It was a great, great reference and great. I'm glad they kept it in. Yep. I, I didn't understand any of the jokes, <laughs> but I'm someone in my household laughed at them. So I just assumed <laughs> it was it was funny. I'm assuming during the game you have all sorts of choices. Press triangle, press square in order to <laughs> puppy dog ear this page, uh, in order to rip out the little card to mail for the next annual subscri- subscription. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know what those cards are called. And then <laughs> scratch this page in order to sniff, I'm assuming was oh, one of the buttons. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> oh, anyways. But, but we're driving. We get- yeah, we're driving, and we get a bunch of smash cuts of what this post-apocalyptic America is, which I think is kind of cool, right? You're road tripping across America. Show us what this world looks like. So we get a roller coaster just covered in vines and everything. We've got bridges. We've got boats, um, the military vehicles and tanks that are all just kind of abandoned there on the side of the road. And I do appreciate they give us a an RB sign, like right above a yep. like a Lowe's gas or a Love's it. gas station. Yep, they've got <laughs> the meats, the... man. They have got the meats. They had yep. the meats, I guess is their new slogan. True, we had the true. meats. <laughs> Uh, but obviously, a callback to the last episode where they they brought up Barbie, so I thought that was that was great. And we even see a, a callback and a reference to another great show we did in Outer Range with just a field full of bison. 
field full of bison just traveling through. I assumed later on when they were in a building, a bison was going to appear outside the window (laughs) like some sort of spirit animal. And then the hole would appear. Man, Mm -hmm. how good is that show? And it got a second season. So that's something. (sighs) I mean, this is definitely in the Outer Ranger universe, right? I mean, we even got a little bit of tease of a a potential hole and void inside Kansas City. So Yes, yes. This is 100% the same world. (laughs) They will meet uh, Bob from Top Gun Maverick will also appear in this one as well. Anyways, they... Pull off. He's like, "Hey, we're gonna get some. We're gonna get some shut eye." So they pull off into the forest, which I thought was. Have we established? Has he been this far before? Like, are, are, is this a run he's done, or is this farther than? Like, he's. I don't do, do think we understand that? Because like yeah. when he pulls off here, it feels like he knows where he's going, but he must just have spotted a clearing. He drives mm-hmm. through it, and he ends up in the the um, evergreen forests of. Kansas, I believe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A state known for their forests. But maybe they're I, not in Kansas yet. I don't know. Yeah, in the game, you're actually... This whole sequence takes place in Pittsburgh. And listening to the showrunners, they didn't necessarily care about where they were. They want to just kind of tell the stories about what happens when they're in these places. And I think they did some of the math about how long they would be traveling in the car, how much time it would take, and the siphoning of gas to having to stop all the time. So they ended up deciding, like, okay, uh, Kansas City makes the most sense for them to eventually stop. So the people that try to attack them, you would call them Pittsburgh Steelers? Ooh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I didn't need a pun book for that one. That one came naturally <laughs> to my brain. Uh, well, they haven't gotten to Vegas to find the Raiders. Oh, man. Your one-upmanship, sir, <laughs> I do not appreciate. We hey, have... man, time flies like an arrow. Fruits fly like a banana. <sighs> They're in the forest... They pull out the old Coleman propane grill and they start making some 20-year-old Chef Boyardee. Uh, ooh, my compliments to the chef from both of them. <laughs> and I got to think, like, cans come with expiration dates, but I think in this world, you're just like, I'm going to go for it. I don't mm-hmm. know. There's some chicken corn chowder Campbell soup in our pantry that I think has moved like four houses with us. So... <laughs> I don't know that I... I guess in this world, I would be brave enough to try it. But I did think about expiration dates. But a huge shout out to the to the Chef Boyardee for lasting through the apocalypse, I guess. Mm-hmm. I found our sleeping arrangements questionable, Tom. We are sleeping <laughs> in sleeping bags on the ground in the middle of the forest. We do have a truck. I understand it's filled with stuff. I just felt... Mm-hmm. Tom, you and I have spent a little bit of time in the woods. The woods are creepy at night. <laughs> yes. And that's without, like, I mean, that's in, a, in this world where these things are imaginary, in this world, uh, monsters are real. So I feel like maybe, like, sleeping in the truck, on the bed of the truck, under the truck, any of these are better <laughs> options than. And I just thought this was so funny because... She asked the question, no one's going to find us. Like, he looks like he's on about to fall asleep. And mm-hmm. then it's like, no one's going to find us. And he's like, yeah, I promise you, no one's going to find us. And as soon as she said that, and the way Joel, like, what's on his face is I'm like, oh, he's not sleeping now. He's he's done. I just, he's he's going to stay awake. There's no sleeping now because of she's reminded him of the dangers that are out there. And I thought See, I that was think... interesting. I think it's the other way around. I think he he already is, was well aware of the dangers. And I think Ellie even asks him, like, you know, what was going to happen if somebody finds us? They're just going to steal our stuff. And she's and he says his response is, no, they're going to do a lot more or worse than that. So I think he's almost kind of backtracking a little bit and felt bad about what he said to almost scare Ellie. He When he she asks again, is anybody going to find us in these woods? He's like, oh, no, not at all. Even though he knows it's possible. He, I think he was always planning on staying up and kind of doing this guard duty all night to protect her. As we've established, he is the protector. That is his role, you know, regardless of whether he wants to admit, admit it. She's not just cargo, and she means more to him than, than that. Mm, okay. Yeah, I took it as, 
I took it as he was probably going to sleep pretty soundly, and then she kind of <laughs> reminded him, or at least reminded him of his duty to protect her in yeah. that way, and then he was like, okay, well, looks like no one's getting any sleep. But the most important part of this whole scene is, Joel, can I ask you a serious question? And Tom, <laughs> I'll give you the floor. You can talk out this piece. I don't know if I, I didn't write the specific pun down, but I was from the show. But the way that Ellie asked the question, you think it's something serious, but no, it's just a punchline for, or a setup for her, one of her pun jokes. The idea of Joel, like, turning over slightly, answering it, saying it's like a scarecrow or something. Uh, it was just great. It's very clever writing, right? Because it was like, I, why did the scarecrow win the award? And he's like, because he was outstanding in his field <laughs> there or it something is. like that. Yes, and I you got it. didn't even have to look it up. I'm <laughs> mad that my brain filed that one away. <laughs> You could tell it to your son. But again, it's like that. <laughs> it's that idea that, you know, he's obviously hasn't been a father for a long time, but he's still a dad. And I feel like it's almost a little bit of a nod to that. Like he's a dad. He knows dad jokes. Sure. Um, he had a teenage daughter. So, yep. That, yeah, you're exactly right. That's that is the. Yeah. And, and you're seeing how he is as you mentioned in the beginning, how he's kind of starting to open up. He's start, mm -hmm. how he's starting to feel towards Ellie. And I, it would be interesting to, you know, having lost a child 20 years later, kind of falling back into that role, mm -hmm. uh, how long it takes you to kind of knock the rust off and, and start taking on that fatherly role. So mm -hmm. I appreciate both uh, actors in, in this, in these scenes. Yeah, and I think it sets it so well for the ending, right? Where you actually get like Joel opening up and laughing. So like this little bit and this this kind of starts that that idea of them going to sleep and, and setting it up for later. They wake up alive, not eaten by cannibals or <laughs> forest elves. I don't know. <laughs> There's some coffee brewing, and he's like, oh, you don't drink coffee. She says it smells like <laughs> mud. I don't know what it is. She she doesn't like it, which is how all children, I feel, react to coffee. Mm -hmm. um, but he then goes out of his way to do a very dad thing, which is like slurp it in order to be <laughs> obnoxious when... Uh, she's making comments about it. Well, now this this podcast is very firm in our stance of actors drinking during a scene and how 99% of the time, like they'll have a cup of water and there will be nothing in it. And you can so clearly tell that the actor is not drinking anything. What do you feel about Pedro Pascal's drink acting here? Because I thought it was pretty good. I did too. I did not clock this. So I feel like, and he slurps pretty uh, pretty realistically i don't think that's mm -hmm. adr so <laughs> i'm gonna go with there was something yeah. in that thermos and knowing uh, pedro pascal he's not gonna you know he's not gonna fake it i bet no. on his 15th take he was down in half that thermos of coffee just because mm -hmm. he is an actor's actor you know <laughs> there's some map reading happening in this s10 and listen we are also on record. I love map reading. I love a good map scene. I want to dive in there. I want to figure out, you know, what road we're on, which direction, all those things. Uh, but they do kind of foreshadow this. She's navigating, and they're going to get into some trouble in Kansas City. So mm -hmm. it's fun that they bring that up. But this leads to Ellie asking about Tommy and uh, who he is, and we get Joel opening up a little bit here. Yeah, I like the setup for it, too, where he's like, why, she asks, why isn't he with you? He's like, long story. It's like, well, I clocked it. We, is it longer than 25 hours? Because that's how long <laughs> this is going to take. Right. <laughs> Which, right. yeah, Joel's got no no escape for that. And then kind of opens up and, and tells a little bit about his brother. And it's Tommy's a joiner, joined the army, dreamed of being a hero. <laughs> he says something like he was in the Gulf War. He's like, we just called it that or something. He says he makes some comment about why they titled it that way because she gives him a look. And then he joins the group that they traveled with. And then he joins the Fireflies. He always wants to save the world. And you can see that Joel being kind of the cynic, he's just like he's delusional. And uh, yeah, you get a quick snapshot. Didn't take 25 hours. That's for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the idea was, I don't think Joel thinks his brother's necessarily delusional. I think maybe to a point, but I think when he was saying delusional, it was more about the fireflies and their want to save the world or bring us back. Cause he's certainly still very skeptical of the concept and idea that there's going to be a cure or that always going to be able to, to do anything more with, with the fireflies. So I think that's kind of maybe some of his, you know, hatred towards them is because knowing that he kind of maybe poisoned the mind of his brother a little bit. Sure. For a futile effort. Mm-hmm. I understand. Cause that's when Ellie says, well, if there's no hope for the world, why do you, you know, why go on? And mm-hmm. he's like, you go on for family and, oh, you're not family, you're cargo. Uh, mm. I made a promise to Tess. So a little bit unkind there, but he's not wrong. They're not family. So mm-hmm. calling someone cargo is maybe a little bit rude. <laughs> yeah. um, Agreed. He, he could have been like, you're navigator. You're Captain Navigator. So you sit in that seat and I drive. I don't know. And it's like he's still trying to put up barriers with the words he chose. Like, I think he chose that word specifically because he doesn't want her to think of him as a father figure or whatever. Like, maybe a protector, I guess, but but really nothing more. So it's maybe his, like, last-ditch effort to try to push her away in some form or fashion. Yep. It feels like he's putting up roadblocks, which is what they run into as they enter Kansas City. It's a roadblock, and I believe it's a semi-truck of... Some sort of bread nature, maybe like a little Debbie's or something like that. I don't remember. Sarah Lee. Oh, Sarah Lee. Lee. It's just filled with frozen coffee cakes. (laughs) It's comical though, right? Because this whole pandemic was started from flour and bread. And there you got this bread truck blocking them. Sarah Lee. That's right. Maybe it was uh, the pound cake. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I'm trying to think of other Sarah Lee products. You can write us the Sarah Lee products that you really love at teambingepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you work I, for Sarah Lee, send us some bread or your favorite, I don't know, whatever you make there. We'll please, eat it and we'll, we'll talk about it on the podcast. Please please send Tom the bread. Uh, I will only take uh, carbless things because... <sighs> your body is your temple. My body is a temple that That's I... That's why you have those abs. Trashed for years. Tom... <laughs> Please don't make fun of me. It hurts. It hurts. My body is my body is a temple, and I'm gonna pour more bourbon into it. Um, they get lost in the city, and we get what classically happens is when one person's navigating and one person's driving, you start yelling at each other, and it culminates in a family meeting pulled off on the side of the road. But they don't really have time for that, so. Yeah, like the back and forth is great, especially Ellie, where Joel's yelling at her for not knowing how to like read a map properly. It's like, this is my second day in a car, man. Like, right. Give me right. a break. Yeah. Uh, there's some funny little Easter eggs, though, in the background. If you look, uh, they go back or past like a theater marquee. And on it, you can see the uh, ads for both Underworld and Matchstick Men, or, oh, which were both, both movies <laughs> Yeah, that came out in September of 2003. So, I don't know, do you have any, any thoughts or anything to add about those two gems of, of movies? Well, I mean, I think we should direct people to our back catalog where we watched and <laughs> talked about all seven of the Underworld movies <laughs> and Matchstick Men, and then it's a uh, spiritual sequel, sequel, forgive me, The Monuments Men that was directed and starred mm. George Clooney, mm. and maybe John Krasinski, and maybe John Goodman, and the fella from Downton Abbey. I've never seen that movie, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on all of those things. And well it is upsetting. I am upset. Oh. Uh, but yeah, as they keep kind of driving through, they we, we as an audience see kind of like a pile of like smoldering bodies and they kind of do like a close up of it. And you can see like there's no exploding of the head or whatever. So we know these aren't clickers. They weren't infected. These are are other people and of course just like you know like i want to be cremated as it is my last hope for a smoking hot body so sure just keep that in mind <laughs> i don't i don't like it i don't like it i don't like that i'm laughing oh man i don't you have come with some weird energy tonight and you're getting uh, all right uh. No Love more cheap puns, laughs, buddy. my friend. No more cheap laughs for All you. Right, I've got to earn them. you got to earn every one of them. <laughs> okay. Speaking of earning cheap laughs, they get into an ambush. <laughs> uh, someone, like, fakes 
injury and Joel's like, yeah, no, we're not helping them. He's like, I know this trick and <laughs> this leads to really the main action of the episode where they get into a little bit of a gunfight in the streets. As soon as the tires went, I was like, ooh, that's yeah. going to be, I don't think Discount Tire is going to uh, honor that <laughs> warranty. Uh, they're going to be like, you drove over all four sets of tires and then you shot dudes? I don't think so. We can forgive only one of those things, and it's not the tires. Um, this is the very harrowing, like slams through a wall. I mean, that S10 bulletproof just taking all the rounds. Yeah. I don't like to get into tactical things, although I think I have in every other episode, but Joel's choice of firearm in this situation is a little bit strange, but we'll go on. It's kind of mm -hmm. like Bill in the middle of the street with a bolt action shooting at people on fire. I don't <laughs> know, but we have this, you know, he sends Ellie through the hole, which I was like, I don't, I don't think anyone's fitting through that hole, but she does. Mm -hmm. And then she has to come back through that hole when she realizes Chekhov's guns in her backpack. First, she mm -hmm. pulls out her knife, and then she's yes. like, wait, I've heard a saying about this. Don't bring a backpack. No, don't bring a gun in a backpack. Don't bring a gun in a backpack to a knife fight, I think is what she thinks. Yep. So then she, I'm making light of uh, kind of a, a brutal situation, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, she walks out and she shoots the guy on top of Joel. And what I appreciate about this show, and it's kind of sad, but I appreciate the brutality of it, is he does not die away, like die immediately, mm -hmm. which mm, most shows it's like you shoot him once and they're just like dead and you don't have to think about him again. This one it's like, hey, we're going to make Ellie like pay for the violence emotionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, is how I felt this going down. So, well, and and I would argue ninety percent of these types of shows and movies and whatever they're going to have the kid be there to be the voice of reason for you know the Joel. Like Joel realizes, okay, we we have to to kill this guy. We can't let him just get away. Usually Ellie would be the one saying, hey, you you can't do this. You know, as an innocent child, sure. but that's not the case here, right? Like she understands this world. She understands what needs to be done here. Even though you get this like heart-wrenching stuff from delivered from this guy like i think brian is his name like he he says his name just like frank did when he first met bill to try to like humanize himself and you know it's just say like like please don't kill me and just pleading for his life it was it was a brutal scene and again we just get more of you know the the, the harshness that this world provides and how it has changed ellie for i don't know maybe for the better for this world but unfortunately probably for the worse yep and so he sends ellie back through the hole he patches up Brian because he stops making noises. Uh, I think he might might like adjust his back like a chiropractor because you kind of hear like a like a grunting noise. Yeah. And then he rejoins Ellie uh, in the other room, and then we listen to the others show up, and they're like, "They got George. They got Brian. They got other generic name. Mm -hmm. We're really upset. Let's search the town." all of kansas city then we're introduced to the main character of the show that is introduced in episode four uh kathleen who is as most of us would like to do holding a doctor hostage <laughs> and we find out that uh these two go way back way 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 back yeah, not just a doctor, but her doctor that delivered her. So it just makes it even more brutal with what we're going to see here. She delivers him from this <laughs> life and sends him into the next. Yes. And we find out there's... Uh, so I guess Fedra has gone away. These people have kind of taken over. And what I gleaned from all these conversations is that there are collaborators with... Uh, whenever I use a big word, I always expect you to correct me afterwards. So <laughs> we'll just, enough. we'll, yeah, we'll just say that I got close to that C word. <laughs> and uh, we find out that these C words were uh, ratting out people to Fedra, and that led to people being executed, tortured. Uh, and she seems to be looking for a gentleman by the name of Henry. Han, Henri? Henri? Henri, is that how you yes. say it? <laughs> But yes, yeah, so I think the idea is, and we get that glimpse before the 
ambush where they actually see like the Fedra quarantine zone all like gates open like it is clearly not there anymore so and and i think we even see in this building where she's in a Fedra building there's like blood on the wall there's bullet holes on the wall so the assumption is i think these these group of people took over Fedra and and took all their stuff and i think in the game they're kind of referred to as like the hunters so they're more or less just a, a group of people living in a city that are just i don't know great people trying to survive um, it, it's it's an interesting little call out here too. One of the names that she kind of rattles through before she gets to Henry, and then kind of when she says Henry, she kind of makes that. I don't know. I guess she's good at reading people. She sees something in this doctor that makes it makes her think like, oh, okay, he knows where Henry is. But one of the other names that she mentions is Mark Halpin, which is apparently a friend of Craig Mazin, the main showrunner and writer, who's apparently like some like known puzzle master. I don't know exactly what that means, but apparently Mazen is a is a big puzzle guy. So he kind of threw in one of his friends' names in in honor of him during this episode, which I think is kind of fun. Is he the puzzle master from the after party? Because that's the <laughs> only time I've ever heard, other than the classic Bond villain, the puzzle master who throws <laughs> sharpened puzzle pieces at Bond. Um, I'm not familiar with that term either. I don't know, but that would be great if he was. They're looking for one Henri Burrell, and Kathleen seems to be running things because she's called into the street when the bodies are brought in, and essentially what we have here is a power vacuum. Fedra was mm-hmm. in charge. Fedra got overthrown. Now it's like who's got the guns in order to in order to run this, and... Yeah, I I mean, I'm assuming they're going to go deeper into this because we seem to, you know, this episode ends with a cliffhanger and I mm-hmm. uh, assume that Kathleen is going to come to uh, a head with Joel and Ellie. Yeah, and she is she is a new character. She's not in the game series, but She's I think not, what we've oh, seen... I thought yeah. she was in the games. This is not no. a game character. So the this hunters are in the game, but the leader of the hunters called Kathleen, not, not in the there. game. No. But I think in general, yeah, she's she's clearly seeking vengeance for who she thinks is the one that ultimately ratted out and got her brother killed, right? Because that, that's mentioned earlier when she's talking to the doctor, that her brother was killed by Fedra because somebody gave him up. And at this point, she believes it's it's Henry. So she's seeking vengeance. And to your point about like the power vacuum, I'd imagine we're going to learn more about why she is this group's leader probably in, in probably the next episode, right? Because we may not stay here too long. But the idea of her tying all these killings to Henry and saying, oh, maybe Henry was the one that called him in and that's the why these guys are dead. Like she's clearly trying to draw this probably false parallel just to push her narrative of getting Henry. Yeah, um, I think you're 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 giving her more credit than it does. And, and I I'm, I'm, would never critique this show. I, <laughs> I know you love it. But she walks out into the street. They put these bodies in front of her. And like without missing a beat, she's like, clearly henry did this and it it, it was like uh, if i was in that crowd i'd be like wait a second you (laughs) just saw the bodies for the first time how do you know it was henry and that's when they would have dragged me to a cell and put me down um (laughs) because i would have questioned kathleen but yeah they she uh, there are some like straw men that she's setting up here in order to i guess go after go after Mm -hmm. henry but i thought it was uh I'd have some questions if I was in that crowd about her motivation. Yeah, and I think there is a guy, which we, we meet her kind of lead muscle, Perry, a.k.a. salt and pepper beardy guy. Uh, nice. Who's, again, looks now, fantastic Peppa? part. Is that Peppa or Pepper? <laughs> uh, we'll say Peppa, salt and Peppa, pepper beardy. Okay. So like Peppa Pig, um, got it. Okay. But again, this is another character not in the games, but this actor, which I didn't write down his name, but he is the gentleman who voices Tommy in the games. And Tommy's the brother of Joel. Yes, exactly. So he's switched sides. So mm-hmm. is there any chance that Perry is Tommy and he's had some sort of facial <laughs> face-off surgery like in the classic John Travolta, Nick Cage uh, action rom-com face-off? Listen, I, it's too early to write it off at this point. That's true. I mean, uh, the past, the present, and the future walk into a bar. It was tense. <laughs> I don't like what you're doing at all. (laughs) And I don't know why I'm laughing. All right. That's an interesting, interesting connection. Mm -hmm. 
And you know where people make connections? They make connections in bars. And that's where <laughs> Ellie and Joel are holed up. Uh, full disclosure, I thought this was a garage, like a car garage where they worked on cars. Uh, but it's only because Joel slammed his S10 into it. And that's why there's a car <laughs> in the middle of the room. Uh, Tom politely informed me that they're in a bar. And so this is them kind of figuring out where they're going to go. They like are looking across the street, looking at the tall building. Um, they have a conversation here where Joel is very, you know, as he should, asking if Ellie's all right uh, and pointing out. He's like, listen, you know, he, he understands that she's a kid and mm -hmm. that she shouldn't have been put in a situation where she had to hurt someone. And he's like, I'm, you know, I'm sure it's difficult. His assumption being this is the first time she ever shot someone in the spine with a gun, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and yeah, she's, he's doing his best here to apologize because he's, yeah, he's taking all the ownership on this when in all likelihood, this isn't his fault, right? Like his gun jammed, I think when this happened and he didn't, you know, hear this guy sneaking up on him, but he, he puts all this blame on him and, and says he, sorry that he put Ellie in this situation and he, and like Ellie starts to wiping away tears and, and she kind of mentions here that, that Ellie's kind of killed before or shot somebody before or done something like, you know, to hurt somebody like Joel mentions. And as she's wiping away tears, it made me think, what do you take from that of her wiping the tears? Is it the fact that she's sad about having to do this in the past and that she did have to hurt somebody? Or is it that she feels Joel is showing concern and is apologizing to her? Where do you think those tears are coming from? Uh, I would say the tears are coming down from adrenaline from a tense situation on the emotional side, I would say it's from someone like Joel showing concern. Cause she clearly like as a teenager is, is trying to like win the respect mm -hmm. or affection of Joel. And so him showing, you know, he's been relatively cold. He's now showing some concern. So I think that is a bit of it. My assumption as soon as we met Ellie is that she is, my hope is that this show is secretly about the serial killer known as Ellie and that Ellie has just been wiping people out for years and years and years. Um, and she, you know, has that infected bite on her arms cover so that she can move from place to place. I don't know. Clever. I don't Clever. know. There's so many, so many possibilities here, but yeah, that's my, that's my official answer. But I, I do like why this, this kind of sets up the idea of, Joel realizing, okay, she can handle a weapon. She can take care of herself and decides to trust her with a gun, right? And then we get this little bit yep. about some some gun safety lessons. So so walk me through this. Does this all sound gun safety as a uh, avid gun owner? Um, I wasn't paying too much attention. Uh, I feel like they do put a round in chamber and... Uh, she at one point does look like she's pointing it at Joel, which is maybe no, Joel not... Joel takes it out. Joel takes it out, Jamie. Okay, okay, he does. Yes. Um, I guess my only issue is at the very end, he, I think he puts the magazine in, racks it, and hands it to her with a hammer back. And I thought, well, maybe <laughs> don't have a round in chamber while it's bouncing around in your backpack. But I don't live in this world. Maybe a backpack that can go off at any time is an asset, not a uh, safety hazard. <laughs> Who knows? Well, he does yeah. give her the line when she's going to put it in like her back pocket like he did earlier. She's like, don't do that. You're going to shoot your butt off. Sure, sure. <laughs> to which she says, okay, and promptly puts it in her pocket as soon as he looks away. So, yeah. No, but I did think this was smart. We had this conversation last episode about whether or not he should let her. And she has proven that she can shoot someone when it matters, which was devastating. And before we move on, is is it's funny because they're they're sitting in this bar, right? That's just like covered with newspaper. Did you like look at any of the newspaper articles or anything that was on there? No, I did not have any time to read <laughs> the newspapers. I was too busy myself wiping away tears. Yeah, there's there's some cool stuff on there. There's one that like showed something about like a concert that cost forty five cents, and it was uh, fifty cent featuring Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, listen, <laughs> if you and I were partnered up in this world, we would not have lasted. That's all I have to say. These puns of yours would have gotten you accidentally murdered by me. <laughs> That's all I have to say. 
Okay. Um, as charming and wonderful as you are, I think I would have reached <laughs> my enough. breaking point real quickly. Uh, I would have been like, Tom, come with me. You're going to meet some people. They're going to give you all the toys in the world. Everything's going to be great. We're going to give you, do you like candy? You're going to get all the candy. Um, anyway. This is why me and your son get along so well. We yes. both, not necessarily that we love puns, it's that we both love annoying you. Yeah, that's fair. That's, <laughs> that's fair. <sighs> we go from uh, the bar, I'm assuming it's the Cheers bar. I don't know where Cheers took place. Probably Kansas City to <laughs> Kathleen in an Attic, which is a, a book of poems by Shel Silverstein. And <laughs> she finds out that this is where Henry and Sam, the two... We don't know anything about these folks, right? We just, we're just hearing names. I'm sure you know more about them. But, so Henry and Sam have apparently been living in this attic. They're, she's determined they've run out of food. Uh, and there are a bunch of drawings on the wall that seem to be of like a father and son. Mm -hmm. uh, they seem to be drawn by a kid, which, once again, just leave the kids out of this world. I don't need to think <laughs> about being like holed up in an attic with, it's just terrible to think about. But yeah, it, it really is. It really is. But yeah, so Kathleen gets gets uh, taken to this little attic that I guess uh, Salt and Pepper Beardy had found. And you know, I'll just tell you now. So Sam and Henry, which we see at the very end of this episode, they're they're brothers. So the younger one has been drawing all these pictures of the kind of superheroes. And I even like the bit at the very end when we see Sam. He's even got like red face paint over his eyes to kind of mm -hmm. like mimic the mask of a superhero. So it's kind of cool. So certainly people that have played the game know these two and, and know their story. Perry then, they go downstairs. Perry shows her something under, like, at the basement level or at the ground mm -hmm. level. And it seems to be, like, a giant depression that is uh, forming underground that my therapist calls... <laughs> Never mind. Different <laughs> podcast. Sorry. Um, there's a depression forming underground, and I could only guess at this because they do not give us much information, but is this like the fun guy underground? Like, are we going to be in a sinkhole? Is this where Royal is going to eventually throw a shovel? <laughs> uh, they seem to be very scared of it, and they're like, oh, let's not tell everyone else. What was happening here, Tom? Explain yeah, to me. Spoil this it is for an, me, buddy. <laughs> this is an interesting scene. So the the idea, like to your point, they're both very scared. This is definitely going to be, you know, probably a hole for some form of the fungus. We've already seen in previous episodes that the fungus is growing in the ground and potentially coming up from like maybe the sewers or anything below. Um, you know, we, who knows really what's lurking under here. But the fact that it almost like senses their presence as they get into the room and then it starts to kind of gyrate a little bit it's it's unnerving to say the least um but it's interesting that perry is going along with all this even though this seems like a very pressing issue that they should be focusing on his loyalty is still very much to kathleen so i'm interested to learn more about why there is that loyalty and why they don't focus so much on on this seemingly larger issue yeah i'm i'm very locked in on this hole that's gyrating as you <laughs> described it so um is gyrating the right word? No, it's not, but you used it, and so I'm going to stick with it. Um, and once again, something that me and my therapist will talk about. My fatuation with gyrating holes. <sighs> Speaking of gyrating holes, we're back with Joel and Ellie as they break into the tall building. I'm assuming this tall building allows them to uh, see... I don't know, all the way to California. I don't know uh, why they're going into it, but apparently tall buildings are safe. Well, I think Joel had mentioned like they need to get higher ground to be able to see some form of an escape route. And I, I think this building had like 45 floors. And he said, okay, we're going to make it as far as, far as I can with, with I get his, his drinker's knees. He doesn't have his uh, uh, drinker's knees spray or balm to help him get higher. So they, they make it up to 33, which I think is, is, is fair. Drinker's knees, 
uh, is solved by a warm compress of bourbon and port <laughs> wine. Um, oh. If you put it on a uh, cocktail napkin and press it to your knees, that will take care of drinker's knees. That's God, just a good to know. Little known fact that I read in a book somewhere, written by I read pirates. it in a book. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so many stairs, so many stairs. We have the conversation where she's like, and Ellie really needs to work on, much like us in this podcast, work on her transitions. She's like, hey, did you kill innocent people? I was like, ooh, that's uh, some heavy heavy conversation that we're uh, entering in. And mm-hmm. we get a real non-answer from Joel. He's like, oh, look, a butterfly, and then <laughs> changes the subject. Yeah, I think the idea is like Ellie knows the answer clearly with his hesitation and non-answer, but doesn't want to have to say it out loud. And, and this is where I think he mentions too that why he didn't stop for the wounded those guys, guy, the ambush, right? right? Because mm-hmm. it's even a callback to the very first episode of the pilot where they were, you know, taking off with Sarah and Tommy, um, and they saw, you know. Uh, husband and wife on the side of the road with their kid and he didn't stop for them either it's like somebody else will come along he really doesn't have time for anybody else in these situations he's there to protect his own and he it's interesting the way he kind of mentions this he's like i've been on both sides so it's not like he has he hates these people like he understands what these people are doing and to them they're just people that are in the way so it's an interesting kind of kind of conversation but uh one he's certainly trying to to spare ellie from Sure, sure. I think it would be interesting to have the conversation about that ambush. You're like, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do this time? Like, car, we hear a car coming. You know, what's your, like, get inside the actor studio of your head. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to fake? What are you going to do? Personally, I'd be like, listen, I'm going to, I'm from, I'm from suburbia. I have a gluten allergy. So I'm going to be in the middle of the road just shouting about my gluten allergy and that's going to get the vehicle to slow down and they'll help me out because they'll know I have a gluten allergy. I think Mm -hmm. that's what I do. I think the guy's issue is he like, he oversold it with like the stomach cramp that he was doing. And that's why Joel knew if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. I think you've got to pick just the right thing for the right situation. So mine would be a gluten allergy. That's, that's fair. But I mean, yeah, they they did have to go up quite a few stairs. I think what they mentioned, he's 56 years old and he went up 33 stairs. I think that's that's very, very impressive. I mean, I personally, I don't trust stairs because I feel like they're always up to something, but he did a good job. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. I think when people listen to this, they're just going to be like, hey, what happened to the episode for four? And I'm just going to send out an email that says, wasn't worth your time, guys. Tom did something that you guys didn't want to hear, and so we're not publishing it. It's just going to be me singing for 45 minutes. The national oh, please be anthem, Hank Williams. Oh. The national anthem in a Hank Williams voice. And outfit, please. And outfit, yes, sir. <laughs> They are so loud. There are so many times in this show where I'm just like, listen, guys, you told us that they can hear. Why are you so loud? Mm -hmm. So, so loud. They're like laughing and yucking it up. And I would just be like, secure the happiness. No loud noises. I thought the same thing when I first watched it. And clearly they were loud enough for uh, Henry and Sam to creep up on them. It's a bingo. (laughs) It's a bingo. But I was thinking like, well, if you're in just this random building in the middle of a city, the idea of other people even being in this building are slim to none, let alone 30 level or 30 stories up. And like, I feel like you'd have to be on the same level to even hear anything. Or I don't know, maybe because it's all hollowed out and there's nothing else in there. Uh, but I agree that he's being a little cavalier with the breaking of the glass. So loud. So, so loud. They sleep in an office, I'm assuming. Was this like an office building? It looked like they pulled like therapist chairs off mm-hmm. of like the cushions and they laid on them on the floor, mm-hmm. which I wonder what they're getting billed hourly for. Um, <laughs> he then, it's funny, we have, you know, kind of a mirror scene of them lying in the forest where he's mm-hmm. like laying on his side, she's behind him, and he asks her, Hey, you said, you know, this wasn't your first time killing. And she, of course, surprise, surprise doesn't want to talk about it and 
this is once again, you know, him talking about it's just not fair at your age to have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, she even gives a line, I think, back to him, like, well, does it get easier when you get older? And he immediately responds, like, no, not really. But it, it is interesting here, right? Because Ellie is and has been a complete open book this entire time and generally just won't stop talking. And, you know, we've, we've kind of found something here that Ellie is not wanting to open up. So they're both still kind of keeping their secrets. Sure, sure. She then brings up very astutely, and I don't know that I noticed this, or it was maybe telegraphed during the show, but I didn't notice it. But she's like, listen, you don't hear very well out of your right ear. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, she's like, oh, is that from being shot? And he's like, it's probably <laughs> from the shooting, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, tells her to stick to her knife. Right, right, right. <laughs> if you want to keep your hearing, stick to that knife of yours. But we mentioned this earlier. This is where they have that that very touching moment. I mean, to this point, we haven't even seen Joel maybe even crack a smile since the pandemic or this whole outbreak kind of started. Um, but he hears Ellie's joke about, I don't know, some other crass crude joke or whatever. And Joel finally, you know, he laughs and he calls her out and says, like, that was stupid, but can't help himself and, and has a, a, a true moment with Ellie here. And Ellie certainly sees it and is very uh, thrilled by it. Yeah, no, it was a lovely moment, and that lovely moment leads to them peacefully falling asleep and roll credits. So (laughs) that was the episode. Nothing else happened. I did appreciate Joel putting all the glass on the ground so that he hears someone if they come in. And I don't know if you noticed, but when he wakes up, he's laying on his (laughs) left side on his left good ear. Mm-hmm. Meaning his right ear was up, and he wakes up to Superman pointing a gun in his face. It's interesting because this is how the episode starts and finishes, right? With what's seemingly a kid pointing a gun at, you know, Ellie pointing it at the mirror, and sure. now young Sam here pointing it at at Joel and telling him to be quiet or kind of putting his finger over his mouth, which is very menacing, but I would argue. Ellie just screamed, hey, Joel, wake up. So they probably don't need to be quiet in this moment. But They're never quiet then... before. Why would they need to be quiet now? They haven't been yeah. quiet any of these times. <laughs> Noise discipline. It's incredible. Uh, but I do give Joel a little bit of a break here, right? Because he seemingly didn't get any sleep beforehand the night before because he was up all night trying to protect Ellie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been in a car accident. They've been on the lamb for a while. So... I don't, I don't forgive this man for finally getting some Z's. He's 56 sure. years old, just walked up 33 flights of stairs. Come on. Right, right. I don't think that airbag deployed. Um, he's like, <laughs> oh, I, he's like I, I have a little bit of dizziness in my head. I'm just going to lie down. And she's like, yeah, 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 that's the best thing for a concussion. Just lie down, <laughs> go to sleep. I am interested to see where they go from here. I, I don't know how I feel about the Kathleen storyline. Like... Mm-hmm. I guess I understand uh, the story is their journey from Milan to Minsk um, <laughs> or from Boston to Wyoming and them running into people along the way. I just, I don't, I don't really want to get bogged down into like Kathleen's world, if that makes sense. I'm interested mm-hmm. in their journey, but. Uh, like if this is a, what a video game would call a side quest, I don't know how I'm going to feel. Now, if, if Henry and Sam are going to be along for the long haul and it's going to be the last of us times four, um, you know, I, I I think that'll be interesting to add, you know, a a core group. They're not all going to fit in that S10 comfortably, but maybe (laughs) they upgrade. Uh, I don't know. And uh, I don't like cliffhangers. That's that's really where it comes down. I don't like cliffhangers. Yeah, I think in the first three episodes, we've gotten very succinct stories kind of beginning, middle, and end for them. So this one to kind of have a little bit more episodic cliffhanger is maybe a little bit frustrating. And I'm with you. I think diverging a little bit to show more of the story of these other people that are living in this world while it kind of takes away from maybe Joel and Ellie's adventure, I think it's needed because I think it helps kind of ground this world in... You know, it's not just Fedra and, you know, fungi infected people running around like there's factions of people. And Joel had mentioned it like people are almost the more dangerous part in this world, uh, more so than the infected. Mm. So it, it's it's an interesting and needed, I think, extra storyline. And I also like the idea of them expanding these characters, creating new characters for the show that weren't in the video games, because in the video games, you're just you're running and gunning and it's action. And, you know, that's what the video game you know, series is all about. But being able to kind of break up those 
series of fights and gun battles to dive deeper into the drama and the characters, I think is is helpful. But I'm with you. I'm interested to see where they go with with Kathleen, because I think there's certainly more to her story that that we'll get in the next episode. Sure. Well, we appreciate all of you riding in the sweet S10 with us through Kansas (laughs) City. Don't forget to place your bets for the Super Bowl. It's very important that you gamble. That's something I've learned (laughs) as I've watched the NFL in these last couple of years is gambling is very important and everyone should do it. Thank goodness it got legalized so we could watch all those commercials. I'm going to feel real sad if the commercial that plays during this podcast is a sports betting one, but um, it's either that or cabinets, you know? I don't think it can be a sports betting one because I'm pretty sure commercials are like 30 seconds and just the like end of a gambling commercial is 30 seconds worth of the disclaimers. Listen, the only way I know what states are in the U.S. are from those gambling commercials because they name all the states and where you (laughs) need to get help if you have a gambling addiction. Anyways, we're going to get canceled by the gambling community, which is not my intent. Um, Tom... Typically, at the end of our episodes, we talk about a piece of media that we are also enjoying, and so I can either give you the floor or take it myself in order to talk about, other than The Last of Us, what we're also consuming. No, I'll go for it. Um, Something that me and my wife had recently watched, which is, I think it was, it originally came out in 2011, but was a Conan O'Brien documentary called Conan O'Brien Can't Stop. And it follows kind of what he did after he was fired from The Tonight Show because he was contractually obligated not to do any sort of like TV or movie appearances for six months. So he just had nothing but time to kill. So it kind of followed a lot of the, if you you follow Conan and listen to his podcast or have um, seen any of his stuff, it it features a lot of the characters, not characters, but the people that work with and around him, like Aaron Blay or Sonam Obsessian. Uh, and it's really fun to kind of see them in some of the earlier days if you listen to to some of their stuff now. And it's just Conan being Conan. And it's a, it's very raw. It's not like produced very well, but it's just it's fun to see the back end and what somebody like Conan O'Brien does and the appearances and I think how really how good of a guy he is. Um, he's very wacky and he's a very um, funny guy. But I think and you see him kind of behind the scenes, he is he's very loving and giving of his time to his fans. So if you're a fan of Conan O'Brien and you haven't seen that, I would definitely recommend to go watch it called Conan O'Brien Can't Stop. I think Got we it. watched it on Amazon Prime as well. He's the uh, he's the tall, red-headed fellow? Yes, he is, okay. yes. Got it. I think I know that. Um, How about yourself, man? What are you, what are you uh, binging? Listen, I'm not binging anything right now because... Except for that uh, whiskey. I've never... <laughs> hey, 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 I thought we were going to... Listen, when you point a gun in a mirror, three or four fingers are pointing back at you, Tom. So be careful of who you point that gun in the mirror at, yep. I think is how that saying goes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in light of the news, I would like to re-recommend uh, the Top Gun Maverick movie. And by news, I mean that balloon that flew across the U.S. <laughs> here's, here's my thoughts. I think it is quite possible that Hangman who is the only one with an air-to-air confirmed kill uh, in Top Gun Maverick. I think the reason why everyone kind of despises him is his air-to-air kill was a spy balloon. And so he's like, listen, I'm working my way to become an ace. And everyone else is like, dude, it was a balloon. You shot down a balloon. And he's like, I'm Hangman. And uh, he's super handsome. He's played by Glenn Powell. And then he goes uh, and he fights in the Korean War. Uh, in a movie called Devotion, which I haven't seen, but I think I will because I love balloons getting shot down. That's why I'm (laughs) terrible at a kid's party. Anyways, uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, Those are all of my real recommendations. Uh, If you'd like to reach out to us with questions or comments, which we do read and respond to, you can hit us up at teambingepodcast at gmail.com. Tom will cover the other ones because I'm not allowed a password. Tom, <laughs> you've got a password. I've seen you post a couple things. I mean, even for the internet, they're they're pretty pretty wild. But uh, you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> creed, and Instagram. I'm the creed of this podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, Instagram and Twitter at Team Binge or at Team Binge Podcast, and and follow along. It's it's been a lot of fun for those folks that have have reached out to us. And, and like Julian mentioned, like 
we're here to chat about it. So if you reach out to us, we're going to reach out back. So, so, so please join along. We, we appreciate everything. And any of you that have ever left a review of us on uh, Apple Podcasts, we appreciate it. Uh, as long as they were good ones. If they were bad <laughs> ones, then... Jog on. <laughs> sure. That's what I was politely going to say. Thank you for saving me there, Tom. This is a kid-friendly podcast where kids are always welcome. So yep. I'm glad I didn't clean say fun. anything terrible. Good, clean, fun. I have been Julian. And I have been Tom. And so what if I don't know what the apocalypse means? It's not the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. No. Bye, everybody. Uh...